If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, I am Randy Andrews. Today, I've got Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound Radio with me again as we discuss the action-adventure Raiders of the Lost Ark here on Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. So, Eric, once again, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode, don't you think? Absolutely. You're talking about my favorite movie of all time. This yeah, is be great. talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark is always such a joy. And um, when I had seen pictures on Twitter of your recording studio, I noticed the uh, poster <laughs> for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So uh, that's just, you know, really great. So... You know, it's a funny story about that. I actually, Raiders is at work now. Uh, that sits beside, beside me at work. Uh, I got Last Crusade. I got the teaser poster from Last Crusade. Oh, in front of okay. Me. And I got Temple. I got Temple to Doom to the left of me here. Um, but uh, a few months ago, uh, we had this idea at work that we would all um, purchase our favorite movie posters from our favorite movies and bring them to work and we hang them around our office. So I already had uh, Raiders Lost Ark framed and uh i really don't have much room on my wall here in this uh tiny recording studio so i brought raiders to work i have back to the future actually behind me nice. another one of my favorite movies of all time but i don't really have uh much room for anything else in here so yeah raiders uh keeps me company five nice. days out of the week that's uh, awesome work so yeah, yeah um it's just great to be able to talk about this movie i had just watched it over the weekend and it was great to see it again. I was amazed how many times when I really focused on the music itself and how it kind of brought more to the film. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there are a lot of times where, you know, it's just music. Not a lot of dialogue. And the music really, really carries the movie. You know, for me, it's it's my favorite movie, my favorite score. I think it's absolutely perfect yeah yeah i i would have to agree there are so many scenes in the film that just bring so much action to the music and there's so many different little tidbits of different facts that uh can be known about the film uh i thought it was interesting in the well of souls scene in the movie 
when you freeze frame during that scene, there's a golden pillar with a tiny engraving of R2-D2 and C-3PO on the wall. And then they're they're also behind the wall when uh, they first approach the Ark. So I found that really funny. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's those are fun little um, fun little Easter eggs uh, to find. I'm not really sure how many more of them there are throughout the throughout the the trilogy, but it just seems like Spielberg would kind of throw these little Easter eggs in. Like for instance, the scene with the uh, the hanger, um, mm-hmm. uh, the clothes hanger. The portable clothes hanger. Um, that's completely ripped off of 1941, a film that Spielberg made only oh. two years earlier. And so he just used that gag again mm-hmm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then, of course, you got uh, you know Yoda in in E.T. and all the Star Wars um, figurines in E.T. as well. So back then, you know, Spielberg and Lucas were really having a lot of fun, kind of cross pollinating their series of movies. I always thought that was that was, that was fun. Now the the C three PO and R two D two thing is really tough to find unless you yeah. really know where to look. And so I don't think too many people would have figured that out while they were watching the movie because yeah, like you said, it's it's very quick. And I had just watched that scene about five minutes ago, and yeah, it happens really really quick. But it's just it, it's a really cool uh, little Easter egg, and and it's just just showing just how much fun that, that Spielberg and George Lucas were having at that time, just, you know, making movies and especially a movie of this sort, which is just a throwback to their youth. You know, I think they, they knew that they had a hit on their hand here. And so it was a, it was a rather fun film to make for, for everyone um, with occasional, um, you know, times where actors and producers and everybody got yeah, sick. Um, with the exception true. of Steven Spielberg. So, but you know, besides that, it's uh, you know from from all the accounts that I've read and seen, it, it seemed to be a, a very fun movie to make, and and you can credit that to George Lucas because Spielberg at that time, even though he was very very successful, every movie that he had made from uh, Jaws, Close Encounters, and nineteen forty one went over budget, and he got lucky with Jaws, and he got very lucky with Close Encounters. And great movies, but then when it came down to 1941, it just showed that you know not all the money in the world is gonna make a great yeah. movie, and so it was up to George Lucas to give Spielberg a tiny budget, and I think it was only about twenty twenty two million dollars, and I think if I can remember, it's about two and a half months and three months to shoot this movie, so Spielberg was really shooting this quick. You know, two, three, four takes at most for for each shot, and then he was moving on. This was making a television series for him, so there wasn't a lot of time to just kind of sit there and and make sure it was right. It was two, three takes. Let's get this done quickly, and let's get this done under budget. And it was under budget. It was done on time. Basically, you can you can say that George Lucas is really the guy that saved Steven Spielberg's yeah, career at that moment. And you know, when you talk about Steven Spielberg not getting sick. And like all the other crew and cast had gotten sick, I found it interesting. The there's a that famous scene where Indy shoots the marauding swordsman that's swinging his sword like crazy, mm-hmm. and he was supposed to use his whip to get the sword out of his attacker's hand, but with the food poisoning he and the rest of the crew had, he was too sick to perform the stunt. So after several unsuccessful tries. Uh, 
Harrison Ford, he suggested, let's just shoot the sucker. And it worked out to where it was just the timing and everything. It made the scene so much more successful. Right. And if you didn't have that, uh, you know, if if everybody wasn't sick, you wouldn't have had that scene. And it's just, uh, I mean, it just made Mm -hmm. up right on the spot. A lot like Indiana Jones in the movie, you know, he's just making it up as he goes. It's just a wonderful moment of inspiration. And, you know, apparently the the poor swordsman had been practicing for a very long time to to, to get his uh, action scene just right. But like you said, I think Harrison Ford had about five, six minutes into in him for, for those days to shoot. And you're right, let's just shoot him and let's move on. And so I don't think that Spielberg in his Jaws and Close Encounters 1941 mode would have done that. I think he would have waited and waited for everybody to get better and the scene of the the whip versus sword would still be in the movie this day. If, again, if it wasn't for George Lucas and getting on his case and and saying, hey, we got to do this quick and dirty and we just got to make ourselves a really good movie. Yeah, and one other really neat tidbit I, I thought about was the scene where... I mean, I know we're going, I'm going (laughs) in different directions with these uh, types of scenes that we can talk about, but even the scene with Indy being dragged underneath the moving truck, um, it was a tribute to uh, John Ford's stagecoach. I found that really interesting. And then the stunt uh, was pulled off a year before in The Legend of the Lone Ranger. And so that truck was specifically constructed to be higher off the ground than normal, so it would allow certain clearance for, uh, <laughs> so that way, Indi- uh, the, or the stuntman could be able to fit actually underneath uh, the vehicle properly. And I thought it was just really neat because it's it's like, well, they, they took the scene from, you know, a very old film and uh, used it even in a modern movie. Yeah, and like I said, everything that is basically in this movie, and the, and the truck chase really was the inspiration for the Indiana Jones story. It's, it's something that George Lucas wanted to see and wanted to do and wanted to create. And that's the whole reason that Indiana Jones was made. It, it was it, it was a, it seems like that that were in those cliffhanger serials of his youth. And, you know, as for the truck scene, I mean, you can see it now to this day. Um, you know, you're talking about the, the, the truck and, and how it was specially built. I mean, if you look underneath the truck, there's also a trench mm-hmm. that's built out underneath the trunk. So the stuntman could get underneath the truck, slide himself, slide himself from the front to back, and then make himself out the back. And, again, if you look at the scene carefully, you can see the trench. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other different little bloopers and things like that where, um, you know, you can see the, uh, you know, when the truck flips over after the basket chase, you can see the, the, the uh, I don't know what it was. I think it was a piece of, uh, it wasn't like a, like, it wasn't a log, but it was this giant kind of release that would push the truck. Oh, yeah. Um, and, that's and in you, the you know, if basket, you pay attention, you can see it under the truck. scene, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So as the truck blows up where we think Marion's dead, you know, you can you can see those little mistakes here and there. But, I mean, when you're seeing it for the first time, yeah. you don't. Well, they, um, had, they had tried to do that so, scene several, several times to get it to flip over, and it just... Yeah. Well, and it was one of the last scenes oh, wow. that they shot yeah. in the movie, too. <laughs> that was... 
So, um, you know, and you know, there's other things like the reflection of the the pine glass uh, be- between the snake and Indiana Jones, which was taken out in subsequent uh, releases on Blu-ray. Um, you know, there, there, there's been a few fixes made to to the movie. I mean, one fix which is just crazy and just goes back to George Lucas's obsession with changing things, like he did with the special mm-hmm. edition of Star Wars. If you watch the television version of Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, during the truck chase. Uh, there's one sequence where uh, a jeep and a, and a few Nazi soldiers are are hurled off the the cliff and they they fall down to their to their death, and uh, you know that was done with uh, with miniatures and, and and a matte painting. Well, if you watch the television version, <laughs> uh, George Lucas completely redoes that oh. that sequence. Um, it's uh, it's a 3D animated sequence where the camera instead of you know, just basically following the 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 jeep down in, in one like simple pan, it actually moves down the cliff with the jeep in a kind of three D rendered model, and it looks really really mm-hmm. odd. Like when you see it, and I saw this a month ago when I saw it on television, I'm like, what is that? So if you get a chance, go on YouTube and you can find a video that compares the 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 jeep going over the cliff to what was originally in the eighty one version, and then what they show on high. Yeah, I'll have to television. do that. So and it's not on any of the Blu-rays. It's not on the Blu-rays. It's not on the DVDs. But it's for the television viewing audience. They get a different Jeep going over the the cliff than uh, than they do with their yeah with their Blu-ray. That's something I'm gonna have to take a look at. Uh, I found that you know with Harrison Ford, he did a lot of his own stunts when he was actually doing mm-hmm. Indiana jo- or well Raiders of the Lost Ark, and like the opening sequence, he actually outran that boulder. And he had to do it twice from five different angles. And he outran it ten times. And so his stumble Mm -hmm. in the scene was deemed to look authentic. And so it was left in. But that's pretty awesome that, you know, he took the time to actually run from the boulder. And it made it more realistic and more fun. Yeah, Harrison Ford's always kind of been that type of an actor. You know, if if he can do the stunt, he'll do the stunt. I mean, he blew out his back on on Temple mm-hmm. Doom, and uh, you know, most of the uh, the wide shots of the the fight between him and the the thuggy uh, soldier, they're done with the sp- mm-hmm. his stuntman because he was in surgery. Um, so they worked around him, and you know, his stuntman was doing all the fighting. But I'm sure that if he was healthy, he'd be able to do it. But he's, you know, even in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he's yeah. doing his own stunts. So. Um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if he's still able to do his own stunt work in the new Indiana Jones movie, which should be coming out in a few years. Yeah, we'll see if that but, um, actually comes to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of hope it doesn't. I would agree. But, um, that's a whole other story. But yeah, no, like the, the stunts in Raiders are, are, are spectacular. They're spectacular. They, they feel real. I mean, it's such an outrageous story, but it feels like it's grounded in in realism like this could actually happen and the great thing about this movie is that he just gets yeah. pummeled each and every time he comes out bloody he comes out hurt you know the the, the fight that he has uh at the uh you know the with the uh the flying wing i mean he might get a few punches in but for most of the time yeah. he lost that fight and if it wasn't for the the propeller propeller swing, um, you know, spinning around and and finally chopping up the, the boxer, <laughs> you know, the yeah, his his opponent. 
I mean, Indy was losing that fight, and that's what that's what I like about it. He he was, you know, he's he's very much a, a, a I would say he's a superhero because the things that he does in this movie are, are yeah. absolutely insane. But he gets hurt. He gets shot. He you can yeah. Feel he gets shot in his shoulder you know, like dirty. several times in the movie. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, and he acknowledges it. He he acknowledges getting shot in the arm, especially during the the, the latter half of that truck chase. You know, it bothers him. That becomes a weakness, and he's still able to overcome it. But even the next scene after that, you can you can tell after you know him hugging Sala, or Sala hugging him, that he's in excruciating pain. And then to make you know life that much more difficult, he gets smoked in the mm-hmm. face by a mirror. You know, he just gets destroyed in this movie, and and it happens in the subsequent films as well. And that's what I I really like about it is that. Uh, and this is the same sort of thing with with Die Hard, even though the the, the circumstances are so extreme. Um, your hero mm-hmm. is getting hurt. Your hero he is, is a flawed, flawed character. Your hero, very much so. And even though he's doing kind of like these superhuman things, you still feel that you know the hero could die at any moment. And so from uh, you know, Raiders and Temple and the Last Crusade, I kind of felt that, you know, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull got really ridiculous with the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the waterfall, uh, you know, dropping over the waterfall. It just, that, that that took me out of it because I felt, you know what, maybe once, okay, but then twice, three times, he'd be dead. And, you know, it just, that's where the sort of, I'm not going to say realism, but again, yeah, being grounded. It needs to be, um, have some and, and, sort and, and, of grounding in reality uh, to make the scenes more yes. realistic. Even with the scene right. of the snakes when he gets uh, sealed in with Marion, mm-hmm. um, that whole sequence, they had to search and search and search different pet shops and everything to find all these snakes. And then, even then, they didn't have enough snakes. So Steven Spielberg had to cut up like lengths of tubing to uh, make it look like there were other snakes in there. And it just, you know, it right. was phenomenal that these are real things and they were real snakes that were actually in that that underground area. Yeah, in the, in the three films, um, you know, Raiders and Temple and Last Crusade, there's always this sense of danger. And danger that, like I said, you know, he could go at any moment. Um, but it's it, it's always interesting to figure out how he's going to make it. And the way that he makes it, and survives seems mm-hmm. plausible. And whereas other movies will just do something stupid and you're like, Oh, okay, well that doesn't make any sense, but all right, we'll move on. So, you know, everything seems to work out as if it would in real life. At least I think so. Um, and like I said, there's always a sense of, a sense of danger. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to make it, but even going through the, the trials for the last crusade at the end, you know, it's like, he's, how is he going to do this? How is he going to get through all these different stages in order to get to the mm-hmm. to the Holy Grail? And it was just fascinating. I, I can remember jumping out of my seat when he made that leap of faith, and I thought he was a goner. I did. I don't know how. He, I like. I was watching this movie. I'm like, how is he going to do this? He's actually stepping off the edge, and he's going to plummet to his death. You know, I was 14 at that time, and even at that time, I was like, oh my god, what's going to happen? And I don't. And a lot of movies no, don't, don't do that. They don't let um, you 
uh, figure that something may something bad may actually happen. Right. So that's what I really like about the character. He's such a well-written character. Like you said, he's a flawed character. I mean, he's no, he's not perfect. And uh, yeah, and I I think that's what I like about him too. And there's been recent uh, talk and rumor and different things like you know saying that Indiana Jones wasn't relevant to the story and everything and it's like well yeah he was no yeah he, he yeah he <laughs> i was, would agree for sure um yeah i mean the, the, look the theory is that you know if he didn't get involved with uh what was it like the, oh like the nazis were going to kill themselves anyway so there was no really no, no point for indiana jones to go on the adventure well the whole point of the adventure was that he was trying to get the ark he wasn't trying mm. to kill the nazis he was trying to take the ark so yes they were going to kill him kill themselves anyway but whatever what i do find interesting is that i think throughout all of these movies you know he never gets no. any of the treasure he never yeah. gets to keep the treasure and the only time he really does any sort of act of heroism at the end of a movie is mm-hmm. temple of doom you know Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's, he's tied up to the pole and the Nazis kill themselves. Um, you know, Last Crusade, he's he's not really doing much anything heroic. Um, I mean, he he gets saved by his dad yeah. for crying out loud. And he watches UFO fly <laughs> off, um, you know, in, in, in the fourth movie. So, you know, like, you know, Temple, he doesn't, he's not really that that quintessential hero with the exception of Temple of Doom. And that's why I love Temple of Doom so much because he is a hero. He saves the kids. He puts everything. He puts everybody um, above himself you know, and actually is the person to go and help these other uh, natives and uh, tribesmen. And yes. it makes him an even yes. better character by having that second movie. Mm-hmm. And you could easily see how that could have been the first movie, but they wanted something more mm-hmm. exciting. For the first movie, and it made it, you know, even better. And I found that what was really interesting to me was that the whole idea of Raiders of the Lost Ark and the whole lost South American temple, uh, it was actually based upon a Disney Donald Duck adventure. And it who's mm. you know, the comic books were in having with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, they were inspired by it because they were exploring a lost temple and down on duck and Scrooge McDuck. And they were having to deal with booby traps and flying darts and a decapitating blade and a huge boulder. And all these things are in these comic stories and it influenced Steven Spielberg and George Lucas to really, go with kind of that idea to continue uh, a full-blown, like, noir film that had an homage to, you know, those serials of the 1940s. I really found that with Harrison Ford, that Indy's character, he never loses his hat in the first movie. Mm -hmm. But in, of course, Mm -hmm. in Temple of Doom and... Uh, Last Crusade, he does lose his hat a few times. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it always comes back. It always seems like it's attacked. It's attached to him. It's part of him, which I always uh, thought was rather charming. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's really the films are are really 
kind of just this this love letter to to the movies of their youth and and everything that they grew up on and you know i i've made a few kind of low budget movies myself and they were all you know well not all but one was one i did i did a 70 minute movie based on indiana jones and it wasn't indiana jones movie but it was in Mm -hmm. the same vein so i could totally see you know how the things that they saw as kids would would just all kind of just pour out into this into this movie and like i said it's a, it's a love letter to the movies and it's an interesting type of film because those types of movies weren't really being made back then i mean you did have star wars but you didn't have kind of these action adventure films back in in the late 70s and early 80s I mean, like you did after Raiders, everybody wanted to make it yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. But this was really, even though it, a lot of the stuff was borrowed, it was really something new and fresh. Yeah, no one had ever, well, no one had seen something quite like it before. I mean, they they took elements of different things from different films or they, they took different locations like filming in Tunisia, finding out that the heat was so unbearable, but... The only thing that got him through the shoot was knowing that David Lean, who had been working on Lawrence of Arabia, had suffered from uh, 14 months of blistering heat. And so they knew they could do it. And Lawrence of Arabia being one of Steven Spielberg's all-time favorite movies. so And you could see that. You could totally see that in the cinematography of this. It's such a beautiful, technicolor, old-school yeah film um the way it's shot the way it's the way it looks it really has that kind of real epic sweeping scope to it again you, you don't get a lot of that in movies no these you days don't either. have a scope of scale or or grandeur that the older movies once did and if you look back on my archive of podcasts i did review uh, Lawrence of Arabia, and I always found with that film, it was so interesting that uh, the director, he viewed it as a journey film because he always went from left to right for the filming and to make it seem like it was a journey. But that's for another story. So, uh, but sure. this is, I mean, this movie just, you know, really emphasizes the importance of how exciting and enjoyable even the music is, how John Williams brings out this character and the different scenes in the film and uh, the well of souls and the where he finds how to find the Ark. Yes. Oh, the, the map room. I couldn't think of it. Yeah. It, it, it does really feel like this, this score kind of is written in, in maybe... Uh, three or mm-hmm. four different parts as if you're you're watching as if you're watching you know one of those old time serials there's always kind of like this cliffhanger and then we get into the next chapter and it really feels that way uh, especially with the music the way he introduces themes and the way that he builds on his action music and uh, and, and eventually finishes it off with that just fantastic end credit suite uh, dedicated mm-hmm. solely to the Raiders march so yeah yeah I mean it's it you know John Williams, boy in the in the eighties. You know that time period between. I think we brought it up 
uh, on our on our last chat with uh, Close Encounters of Third Kind, for a ten year span between seventy four and eighty four, he could do no wrong, and you know eighty one, you know, and to come up with the Indiana Jones yeah. theme, which you know we've we found out only after the DVD release of of Indiana Jones that you know John Williams wrote yeah. two themes and and Spielberg said you know what let's just use them both and mm-hmm. that's amazing that's incredible but they, they they feel like they belong to each other organically it wasn't like hey here's theme A here's theme B and they're all quite different um mm-hmm. and they are there are different melodies for sure, but again, the master that Williams is, be able to bring them both together and make them seem as one cohesive whole is nothing short yeah. and of brilliant. Uh, like a musical genius. I mean, that's seeming what John Williams is. He, he's just he's able to take these elements of the film and and weave them throughout even sequels and make it just one cohesive story without seeing the film. Yeah, he's a just a master storyteller. Absolute master storyteller. And he has been ever since day one. I mean even some of his lesser scores in the in the sixties when he was beginning out. You, there there's a there's a definite arc to his music, for sure. And, and and he doesn't write that way. But he's able to develop it develop his music as if it was written, you know, from note one right to the end. Yeah. In order. And it's yeah, it's the case. just it's phenomenal. <laughs> So uh, it's just really, really enjoyable to be able to talk about this film. And uh, I've always appreciated the filming. And uh, when I was doing my research, it's amazing the amount of different things I learned about the film. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that before. Or, um, I mean, there's so much that (laughs) it filled. Like I was looking at the actual page count. For the amount of trivia for this film, 20, pa- 20 pages. Right. 20 pages yeah. worth of it's information so that could have been brought out. And it's like, that's just amazing how many different things that uh, they, you can learn about just this film alone. I, I mean, being the comic book person that I am, I found it interesting that they even used like concept art. Uh, not with Ralph McQuarrie, with you know, who was pretty much exclusive to Star Wars, but they used a Marvel artist, uh, Jim Steranko, and his work was on Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, and Strange Tales. And I looked mm. up some of his work, and yes, there's an actual, you know, I think it's a three issue comic regarding Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I found that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and then George Lucas really started that whole. Well, I could I could be wrong, but I, I mean, I know that he had a deal with Marvel for mm-hmm. the Star Wars movies. So, and that was really kind of the start of his of his licensing and, and things of that sort. So, um, it doesn't surprise me that there was comic books of uh, of Indiana Jones. I mean, there's still comic books. I have I have about thirty from. Uh, oh yeah, Dark, Dark Horse did a series of comic books. So, and they were always fun to. Um, Fun to read. I'm I'm really surprised that they haven't done more with the Indiana Jones. Yeah, series. with something uh, regarding I mean, uh, more up to maybe an up to date TV series or something that's you know mm-hmm. more fascinating. They had a uh, 
brief trailer on the internet of an animated show that they could have done. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, that would have worked perfectly. Well, and that that was actually done Mm -hmm. recently by a fan. He'd been working on it for months and with the hopes that maybe one day someone's going to pick this up as a as a as a television series. And I think that if there's any character, I mean, crying out loud, you could do a, a, a brand new serial just based off of mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, you know, just a completely full circle of cliffhanger episodes, half an hour long of Indiana Jones. I'd pay yeah. to see that. I would. I, I would eat that up. And I think that animation really is the, 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 the right place for Indiana Jones to to get into. Uh, I don't think it, this isn't like James Bond where you can have different characters playing the character. Um, you know, Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford, you, they you coexist too. <laughs> and I don't think you, right. And I don't think, I don't think anybody going to the movies wants to see a, a reboot of Indiana Jones with somebody no. else playing Indiana Jones. So I think that, and I'm shocked that they didn't do this in the eighties, um, especially for Saturday morning cartoons. They didn't do a, an Indiana Jones cartoon series. And I always thought it was, you know, I collected the Marvels, uh, the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, and I thought that was always fun to read. And I, I, I would, like I said, I would pay anything to see an animated version, whether it's, you know, classically animated or whether it's 3D animated. I still think you can have great adventures with Indiana Jones. And, I mean, I know they tried young Indiana Jones uh, back I think it was uh, in, in, the in, 90s, in the 90s yeah. after Last Crusade. But it was no. never the same. I mean, there were some interesting stories, um, but... You know, there's there's a couple episodes where you know Indiana Jones is six years old. I'm no. not really interested in seeing that. And there are a few other episodes that do feel like Indiana Jones films, but for the most part, I think a an animated movie with the right voice cast, and you just send Indiana Jones on you know a billion different adventures. I think it would sell a bucket loads. And I think that's really where Indiana Jones should go. Again, if they're doing this fifth film, fine. Yeah. I think that should be it. For the film series, but I think it would just be great that you can explore so many different adventures and you can have a lot of fun with it. You can do a lot of weird, wacky mm-hmm. things with it. Um, but I'm just shocked that Indiana Jones was not something that George Lucas tried to exploit the way that he did with Star Wars. I, I think it's mm-hmm. just as popular. And even the same thing with the music. I mean, you think about how many Star Wars related compilation albums and recordings there are of Star Wars music. Yeah. There's hundreds. And then hundreds even and there is well, even, one oh go ahead. One sorry, there's one Indiana yeah. Jones compilation. One. Re recorded with the City of Prague Philharmonic. And that's it. There's just the albums and nothing else. And it's just it's crazy to think that that as popular as Indiana Jones is, it's amazing that and no matter how great the music is for the series, that it just wasn't as, I can't say not as memorable, but, I mean, it just didn't kind of pick up the mm-hmm. way that Star Wars did. It's really strange. I think they're just as popular. I mean, they they were almost like neck to neck, to neck uh, you know, well, box office. Well, because wasn't um, um, also in 1980 was Empire Strikes Back. So, right. I mean, honestly, they were almost like right on the heels of each other for Empire Strikes Back sure. and then uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then uh, when did uh, Temple of Doom come out? Okay, so in 83, Return of the Jedi. Uh, yeah, it is really surprising that um, the films didn't spawn 
several different things, like you mm-hmm. said, of animation and different types of merchandise. Right. Yeah, I I really appreciate, you know, this whole dynamic that Indiana Jones should have been greater of a franchise in a way. Even when looking back on the young Indiana Jones series, there was one, like they did several movies for the young Indiana Jones series. And one of them was called, I think, Secret of the Blues or something. And Mm -hmm. yeah, the Mystery of the the Blues. Blues. And it began with Harrison Ford. Uh, That opening sequence was him racing through this snow-covered hillside or whatever in a mountain pass Mm -hmm. and uh they find this uh cabin and sit down and stay there Mm -hmm. and then you're swept back to the past and given this story that didn't really make much sense at all and then the ending (laughs) you get harrison ford back and he's able to solve the problem against the people that that were chasing them and it's just perfect. I mean, right. having him in there was just, it kind of solidified showing that Indiana Jones is still relevant. So, sure. uh, But there are so many like things with John Williams' music that, you know, so many themes that he had with it, with the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, each time it either trails off or segues into a different theme, it, it changes... Uh, it's note, you know, there's different climaxes to the film when that original theme or entire theme is brought out. And it's just phenomenal, uh, even with, um, like you said, about, you know, they're always trying to bring out a different James Bond, but they can't do that with Indiana Jones. No, it, I don't think it would, it would sell. I don't think you could make a movie like Indiana Jones these days and have it be as as big as it was. Again, we were talking about how new and, and fresh it all felt. And uh, maybe you would find a new audience. Um, the, the last thing you want to do is, is retell Raiders of the Lost Ark, but that's something that would probably happen with a reboot just by the nature of the way movies are being made these days where everything is just either a sequel mm-hmm. or a reboot. There are no original ideas anymore. And so uh, you know, even with Star Wars, I mean, they're still retreading stories that they told 40 years ago. Um, and and that's, what I, that, that's what I'd be afraid of with Indiana Jones is it just it would yeah. be tarnished. And you just wouldn't be able to – you'd have to have the right – people on it and that's what's so amazing about Raiders of the Lost Ark if you look at the credits just the sheer amount of legendary talent that is on Mm. that film and you know you might think George Lucas and Steven Spielberg uh, working today might not be uh, as important but back then you had the creator of Star Wars Mm -hmm. and the director of Jaws working together on one legendary movie. Yeah. It's going to be good. And then when you think about Lawrence Kasdan writing the script, uh, you think about Michael Kahn as the editor. Um, you got uh, Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy yeah, as Yeah, and then producers. even Frank Marshall even starring uh, it, as a pilot in the film. 
Yeah. For sure. Right. And well, Dennis Muren was also in it um, as well briefly in the uh, in the airplane as they took off to mm-hmm. Nepal. Um, just I mean, the ridiculous amount of talent that it, that is on this on this one picture. And I don't know whether they knew it at the time, but I mean, you look back and you're like, wow, imagine all those guys getting back. Douglas Slocum, who who shot three amazing mm-hmm. Indiana Jones pictures. And you could tell, I mean, just look at Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and then go back to the original Indiana Jones trilogy. You could just see just the genius that Slocum was and that Janusz Kaminski had the hardest time trying to replicate that old school, bright, saturated, technicolor mm-hmm. look. No, they couldn't. They couldn't do it. It wasn't. They just couldn't do it. Made And anymore. poor Slocum is, you yeah. know, he went blind. Poor guy, you know? Um, but. Everything, everything, just the stars aligned for this picture. And can you think of, imagine an action adventure movie, and we're going to take away uh, Mad Max, but imagine a film of this sort coming out now and getting the ridiculous amount of Academy Award nominations that it did get and being the favorite for Best Picture Mm -hmm. and ultimately losing. But, you know, at the time it was like Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best thing ever. And it was getting awards left, right, and center. Surprisingly, though, Harrison Ford didn't get a nomination, which is just yeah. utterly ridiculous. Um, but you can't make a movie like this no. these, these days. I, I don't think you can. I don't think the audience um, is prepared for, for, for would appreciate this. Yeah, sort of it stuff doesn't anymore. have, like, um, like you and I were raised in the type of time period where this flair this type of movie it's very hard to find now uh such a film um i mean once in a great while there will be a film that has that awe or that you know flair that mm. brings brings this giddy warmth to you to say this is what i remember of something being this adventuresome and this enjoyable and the plot and the story and everything coalesces so well. Yeah, and, and and even to think about the pacing of this film. Sure, there's a great action sequence at the beginning of the movie. You get the basket chase. But then if you think about the time spent after the basket chase before you get to the airplane fight and how slow mm-hmm. moving that is. But it's really incredibly suspenseful due to the fact that you're going to find the Ark of the Covenant and we don't know what it looks like and what it is. And the way Spielberg is able to set that up, also including uh, numerous uh, dangers and booby traps still along the way, and it doesn't have to be action-packed all the time, but I think the the anticipation of of seeing the Ark uh, was really kind of the the motivating factor of this movie. Yeah, sure, the action was great. But for me, I remember watching it and just being terrified, just going, mm-hmm. what is in that thing? Let's open this up. And and that's what kept me going with this movie. And and you know, when I first saw it, I was about 7, 8 years old, and I was just in absolute awe of this picture. And it really captured my imagination and you know, as a six and seven year old and I'm not sure how many six or seven year olds these days after seeing what the 
they have seen in movies these days where everything is just rather yeah. schizophrenic and you need about 60 million action scenes just to make sure that people are paying attention these days. I'm not sure whether a, a slow build action adventure film like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I guess I've said this, you know, countless times already. I don't think it could be made again. I, I don't think it can and be as successful and as memorable and as iconic as uh, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's been so many things with even film scoring throughout the years that has changed and, uh, mm. Even today's modern film scoring, sometimes you find that a film will have a repeat of music that's been done in another movie. Uh, with John Williams right. scores, you never find one that's the same. You never find one that's uh, going to be a repeat of another John Williams movie. No, I mean, the only time that... I think that's ever happened. It's happened in the Indiana Jones series. You can you can hear a little bit of temp bleeding in in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But besides that, I mean, then again, Star Wars. You have George Lucas just editing the the crap out of out of the prequel scores and just throwing music in left, right, and center mm-hmm. wherever he felt like it. But when you listen to Indiana Jones, especially the original trilogy, how absolutely different they are. Raiders of the Lost Ark is is actually a more simplified mm-hmm. action score. It's not overly busy. It's action packed. It feels large and epic, and you got a ninety-piece London Symphony Orchestra just doing their absolute best. But a lot of the action music isn't overly frenetic. Mm. It isn't overly busy, um, overly complex. I've mentioned this before on other shows that if you listen to the Desert Chase, um, it's actually kind of stripped down to its yeah. bare bones. Um, the, the the action scene is led by. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a snare, um, I think a, a mm-hmm. trumpet, and a tuba. And I, c- I could be wrong, but I mean, a tuba is really leading this. That underlining boom, 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 boom. It's controlling that eight-minute action piece almost throughout the entire sequence. But on top of that, John Williams really strips everything down by section. So where you might have a call and an answer sequence where the French horn you know, screams out one phrase and the, the, the trumpets repeat it again, but there's no. nothing else around it. Um, whereas if you listen to a lot of John Williams action music these days, it's very, very, mm-hmm. very busy. Um, there's a lot happening, which isn't bad, but it's amazing for a score of this sort when I think busy action music could work. And then if you go to Temple of Doom, it's, it's just absolutely chaotic. It's yeah. crazy, that score, mm-hmm. um, in a good way. But Raiders simple. is very, very simple. I mean, you listen to the uh, pizzicato strings that are uh, in the opening action sequence um, as uh, Indy's running away from Belloc and then eventually jumping into the river and flying away with, with uh, uh, Jacques in the biplane, uh, the waterplane. Um, you know, like I said, it's pizzicato strings. It's, it's nothing overly crazy, but it, it, it leads you up to that first moment of hearing the Indiana Jones theme. It's full glory as... Indy swings from the vine yeah, into the water. Yeah, it's very effective. And so it's very effective, but it's also very it's very simple. Um, and that's what I really like about it. It's mm-hmm. it's not overdone. And um, But there's just yeah. so much in the score. There's so much so it's comedy, action, adventure, romance. And that's, it's, that's it's you know, so why good. we're here. Why we're talking about this film because of the music. And uh, I've got four, pl- mm. four cues I'd like to play for us. Um, today uh, I've got the first cue I'd like to play is 
the basket game. And what I found with this theme is that John Williams really brings out the action in the scene and gives us even a sweeping melody when Indy thinks that Marion's dead. What did you find with this cue to be good, Eric? I, I remember when I first heard it as a kid how kind of funny it was and how out of place it was. Um, as I you know, grew older, I appreciated it more, but I understood that it is a it is a fun and playful action sequence. It's almost kind of Benny Hill in a in a weird way. Um, you know, that you don't know which um uh alleyway the basket's gone down and, and who's who mm-hmm. has Marion and who doesn't. But then when it gets down to the, the 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 very serious moments, um, you know, for instance the the swordsman, um, you know, everything kinda turns serious and everything's kinda a little, little bit dangerous and um you know, the swordsman gets this wonderful French horn fanfare melody. Um, and then, you know, Indy shoots him. And then, of course, we go back to those kind of comedic pizzicato strings. And, and then the, the, the kind of the main theme for this sequence uh, picks up again. But as we move in a, a little bit further into the piece, again, once Indy sees the truck that Marion's been dumped onto, seemingly, you know, it gets much more serious. And as you said, you know, Marion's theme... Uh, really pops up after the truck explodes, and you can just feel the anguish and the loss that uh, that Indiana Jones is feeling, especially when he's sitting there at the table with the monkey and, and whatever he's drinking. It's just, you can tell these two were, were in love, they had a history, and how much it's affected Indiana Jones. And so there's so much happening in the piece. There's so much danger and so much fun as well. And again, it's a cue that, you just no. wouldn't hear these days. You wouldn't. You wouldn't get away with it. It would just be a real busy, overdone action cue. And I I just like how both Spielberg and Williams knew that this was going to be a fun sequence, but at the same time, it was going to be really serious and, and, and just heartbreaking yeah, as well. Yeah, so, so now we'll play the basket game.
All right, so next I've got uh, coming up the map room. Uh, and with this queue, I really found it unique that Belloc isn't really as smart of a man as what he seems to be uh, when it comes to digging up artifacts. I mean, he's a mercenary, so he doesn't really know where he's looking. And so Indiana Jones, though, he does know where these things are. And he, I mean, that's the whole real enjoyment of the music is that, you know, you're going along with Indiana Jones on this journey. And with John Williams' music, you you feel the mystery starting to fall into place. Uh, with even him solving this puzzle of the map room. What do you think? Yeah, I, I just absolutely adore this sequence. Uh, again, mainly because it is almost dialogue-free, and Williams is just able to let loose with his uh, Ark and Medallion theme. It's, it is, it's the point where, and I guess Again, I'm going to bring up when I was a kid watching this. I knew that this was pretty serious, you know, adult-themed movie when I saw this. I mean, we've been having a lot of fun, but all of a sudden he gets into in there, and this kind of religioso music starts kicking up. And the way that Williams just builds again on something very simple, um, as you know, the woodwind theme, which then just builds for three minutes into this wonderful crescendo of symphony orchestra and, and choir as as finally the medallion you know showcases and shows Indy exactly where the arc is buried it's it's just phenomenal scoring and it's a it's a concert piece on its own um, not a lot of composers can pull this sort of thing off and he does it so masterfully and there's a lot of different kind of sync points that Williams has to hit because there's a few edits where we are taking out of the map room and we're, we're watching Sala as uh, you know he's waiting for Indiana Jones to, to do what he's, he's doing but uh, as for big crescendo cues things that you know cues that just build and build and build uh, this is this is just one of the mm, best of I all time I would have to agree so now we'll play the map room
So next we have that exciting cue that you had talked about just a little while ago, uh, the desert chase. Like has been brought out, it's got that amazing horn section. What details can you provide in regard to this action cue? Uh, I, I again, I just like how it's it's stripped down. When you when you first hear the first couple of minutes of the cue, it it is it is quite heroic. There's there's some fanfares and it's quite big. But the moment that I mean, there's also some great heroic statements of the Indiana Jones theme. But the moment that Indiana Jones stops. Um, up the top of the hill with his horse and looks down on the road and sees the the trucks, the tone changes. And again, it's kind of like this 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 pulse, this heartbeat of a tuba and a snare, just kind of like it propels it forward. And it's it seems like it's dangerous. It's it's not really a fun chase. It's fun to watch. But again, Williams is kind of grounding you in this film and letting you know that. This is some crazy stuff. Indiana Jones is taking on the Nazi yeah. army here all by himself. And you don't know whether he's going to be successful. And just as just when you think that he's going to get away with it about four minutes into this piece, it changes again. And it gets to that point where the moment that Indiana Jones is shot in the arm, the music changes right on a dime. And it hits um, a, a point where Williams does a slow burn of the Indiana Jones rhythm, that uh, bump, 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 mm-hmm. and it's the Indiana Jones rhythm that plays underneath the theme. But it's such a slow burn because mm-hmm. Indy's in trouble. But it gets faster and faster and faster and more dangerous as he's thrown out the window. He he makes his way underneath the truck, and then finally, once he's triumphant, it's all heroic, and it's one of my all-time favorite action cues. It's just behind the asteroid field mm-hmm. from Empire Strikes Back for me. But as for action sequences, the desert chase is my all-time favorite. It is phenomenal. It's perfect. It's exciting. It's 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 terrifying because, again, remember when I was a kid seeing that, that Jeep fall off the cliff you know, with those guys? And I'm like, oh, my God, they're falling to their, to their death. I mean, guys are mm-hmm. dying here, you know, for the arc. And again, Indy's injured, he's hurt, he's dirty, he's sweaty. You don't know whether he's going to make it. And John Williams' music makes you feel all of that as well. So it's just, it's masterful scoring, masterful filmmaking. Yeah, so so now we'll play The Desert Chase.
So finally, uh, we have our last cue for this evening. Um, it's the Washington ending and the Raiders march. Uh, now this gives us the peak of Williams' memorable score that really heightens the film to great lengths and makes that memory of the Raiders march really stick out in our minds uh, for years to come. Uh, what do you think about this final cue that we'll be playing? Yeah, it's my favorite theme of all time. Um, great to hear it in this concert version. I always freak out anytime I get the chance to to hear it live. And uh, I'm going to see you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark live in March with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, so I'm just absolutely going to lose my mind. When I see oh, the score bet. performed live in its complete I, form, I unfortunately and... was not able to make the showing in Omaha. It was very unfortunate, but it, circumstances, you know. Well, it's funny. Yeah, well, it's funny because I had 
you know, I knew about the concert months before. And the only thing is I didn't really make a note as to when the tickets went on sale. So when I thought, hey, you know, I thought the tickets should be on sale by now, I mm. missed it by a week. And they were sold out, completely sold out. And I thought, man, I've missed my opportunity. I've been waiting this my, for this for my whole life. I've been waiting. Like, I thought, if there's one thing that I can do, if I had a time machine, if I could take the DeLorean back in time, I'd go to London and watch John Williams perform this score live, uh, yeah. live with the LSO. It, that's it, that's what I would love to experience, and just to see what everybody's feeling and everybody's seeing. So, you know, now that I'm going to get a chance to to hear this uh, with the film and, and and hear every single note from the score live, it's it's going to be uh, just absolutely thrilling. And and yeah, you know, the Raiders March. It just makes me feel like a kid again. It really does. It's one of those perfect themes that. Uh, you know, most themes written these days don't really have an A and a B theme. And again, we talked about it earlier that the A and B theme were the two choices that Spielberg mm-hmm. had to make, yeah. you know, use one or the other, but he decided to use both. And you don't get themes like this anymore. And I think what's so great about having an A and B theme is that, you know, Williams is able to kind of pick this thing apart and and use it in many different variations and use the two different themes, you know, for for anything, um, and it's, and, I, and that's what I love about it. And then we can't forget about Marion's theme. Yeah, that's, into this as well. that's really and woven in really well a, too. It's beautiful. And, and what's so great about that is, um, you know, in March, uh, Sony classical is re- uh, releasing a third volume of Steven Spielberg and John Williams. Oh, that's right. Music, I've seen that on Twitter, I believe recorded yeah. by the LA orchestra. And what we're getting on that is John Williams' updated Marion uh, oh, concert be nice. theme, which incorporates uh, some of the music that he wrote in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the Marion's theme orchestration from Raiders Lost Ark. It's beautiful. I've, I've heard it. I've heard it live. It's fantastic. And it's going to be awesome to finally own that piece because I think it's just, it's great. I've been always... I always wanted a concert version of Marion's theme, so I'm glad we're finally going to get it. But, yeah, the Raiders' March is, it's iconic. It's absolutely um, iconic. And, and you know, we're not, we're not talking about the Washington Men, which is the cue mm. that just comes before it. Um, and, again, we get a great statement of Marion's theme, which then transforms into the, the arc theme, and which then, of course, segues into the Raiders' March. And I think it's just a, a, a great marriage of those two cues as well, so... Yeah, a brilliant way to end a brilliant score. So um, I want to thank you again for being on the show. Um, It's always a pleasure to have you on the show and having your input into this uh, beloved film. And uh, I honestly hope I can have you on the show sometime in the near future. After we're done done recording, there's a little project I'd like to talk to you about. So... Um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you can find Eric's, uh, podcasts on cinematic sound radio. Is it cinematic com or is it cinematic sound radio.com? Uh, cinematic sound.net. That's right. Yeah. Cinematic sound. And, um, also you can follow him on Twitter or, uh, follow on iTunes and, um, and on Facebook. And then you can also find my podcast on soundtrackalley.podbean.com, uh, on iTunes, and then even follow my blog uh, for a weekly soundtrack recording or 
uh, review of a soundtrack on SoundtrackAlley.net. In fact, this coming Sunday, I'm doing The Rocketeer. So that's going to be really exciting to uh, kind of review that score of uh, James Horner. So, And sometime in the future, I'll want to put that on my podcast as well. So now we'll hear the Washington ending and Raiders March. So until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.